Welcome in to the newest episode of Side Mission. I, like always, am your host, Rusty Ellis, joined by just two of the boys today, Matt and Kyle. I just about said Matt and Thacker. I'm not even going to cap, so I'm glad that I had the names correct. But we're here today, and we are talking about what has quickly become, I think, I'm say, I'm correct in saying this, what has quickly become one of our favorite games to come out so far this year, A Plague Tale Requiem. Fellas, am I correct in assuming that all three of us absolutely loved this game? Absolutely, yes. Oh, yes. Okay, good. So, before we kind of dive into this, because there's a lot to talk about with this game, there's a lot of great, we do have some fair critiques, just to, you know, be fair to this game like we are, you know, like we try to be fair to all games that are not named Scorn. Um, (laughs) But um, but just before we do jump into it, we really want to talk about the story in depth, so this is a spoiler warning for anybody that hasn't played the game yet, that is thinking about playing it. Because, again, I think we can all agree, the best way to experience this game is to not have a clue what is going to happen. Because if you know what's going to happen, the game will not hit the same. It will not work for you nearly as well as it could. So, here's a spoiler warning. Go play the game first if you don't want to hear spoilers from us. And then you can come back and listen to this later to hear our thoughts. But let's go ahead and dive right in, fellas. A Plague Tale Requiem It's the sequel to A Plague Tale Innocence, which, Kyle, you recently platinumed. I platinumed it last year. Matt, I actually played A Plague Tale Innocence because of your recommendation because you were the first to play it, and I know you loved it. Uh, I think it's safe to say this this game is a prime example of most of the time when it comes to a series, the sequel ends up being better. And yes. Innocence, was, Innocence, in my opinion, was a 9 out of 10 game, a really, really, really solid game few errors here and there but it didn't really have anything that was glaring or terrible and this i i'm I'm borderline wanting to give this game a 10 and i think i'll end up sitting about 9.5 i'll take the cop out score almost um but kyle just you're the fresh you're coming fresh off of plague tale innocence and that platinum you're the closest of the three of us to platinuming this game unless you've done it already and i didn't know um, Not yet. Just talk about where you think this game improved upon an already excellent game in Plague Tale Innocence. So I think with Innocence, the biggest thing was only having uh, the sling for combat. Yes. And in this game, that was, in my opinion, their greatest achievement was the ways that they improved upon the combat whether it be being able to counter the enemies straight up or using the crossbow to you know take out armored enemies um i felt like there was a lot more i feel variety in the ways you went about tackling different situations um i also really enjoyed that they took out the requirement of specific crafting materials to do the upgrades because in the that's first that's one, one of the biggest positive absolutely yes i i hated that i got to the very end and i needed three leather for my final upgrade <laughs> so i had to go back and you know redo it that way i could get that final upgrade for the trophy but with this all you need are just pieces that you find, you know, around the map. Um, another thing that built on top of that that I really liked was the way you could recycle items. Yes. Like pots or, you know, once you build the indestructible tool, you can recycle tools or bolts. Um, this game, like you said, really feels like a sequel. 
there are so many different elements in which they improved upon the first game, which was already a great game. Adding the, New Game Plus I thought was huge as well. I love the addition yes. of New Game Plus. Yes, that was something the first game did not have. And in this one, I love being able to replay the story, having all of my stuff and continuing my character. Absolutely. Yeah, to me, this game is not just a the, the perfect successor as a sequel, but I think it is a fantastic evolution to the series itself. And yes. this is just the second game. Um, I think one of the things that they definitely improved upon was not just like with the crafting and how it's like less resources have to be found in order to uh, craft these things. But like, I mean, I played on the easiest setting. I felt like resources and things like that were just kind of handed to me. So I think in the future, if I was to do a second playthrough, I probably would do it on on a harder difficulty. I'm Um, right there with you. I think that playing this game on the hardest difficulty, like that probably changes the game entirely. Exactly. I think what this game did way better than the original is the narrative. Like, the story was so much better, and the the locals, like, the places you visit were a lot better, because, like, there was so much, like, you know, uh, what's the word? Um, So many different environments. It's very, there was a lot of variety. A lot of variety, yes. Variety is the word I was looking for, but, like, because you start off in, like, this beautiful, like, you know, uh, town, and you go to like places like shipwreck uh, areas, like a pirate kind of a pirate's cove, yep. to this gorgeous island that has like so much. Like, there's even a little bit more to explore there than you had, which uh, the first game felt a little bit more linear. But this one did at some points have a more openness to it. Like, you could go explore tower. You could go. I don't know if you guys did the windmill. Um, puzzle there yeah i tried to i tried to but i think that in my rush to try to because i was so hooked by the story i think that in my rush i ended up kind of just brushing past them but i definitely did the first one and they they, i loved the additional puzzles in this game too yeah and um correct me if i'm wrong the name of the you know the the big destination where hugo's lacuna yeah like, I think you guys are on the same page that it kind of gave you a midsummer vibe. With yes. The flowers That's and all exactly of that. what I said. It was beautiful. Like, and I also like the fact that because of the fact that they took so like advantage of the narrative here to really deep into the story and, and like in Hugo and, and his powers and everything that we get to figure out, like we find out who the original carrier was and the original protector was like Hugo's carrier. Yeah, that was cool. Day and age. And Amicia is the current protector. And it's such a somber story, especially once you delve down into and, and you find out like what really happened to them and like the it's secrets dark, of the order yeah. and everything. I was not expecting that, and I think that they they really drove it home with the narrative. Plus, the supporting cast I I think was also fantastic as well. Took um, it right out of my mouth. That was what my biggest positive was, man. I loved the new characters that were introduced here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sophia was great, great. and. I, I, these characters came to life. I, I unfortunately I don't know any of the uh, voice actors' names in this game, but they really did the characters like so well. They're so realistic. They're so likable. Even the characters who were kind of like assholes, like in the beginning, yeah. was a named Ardon. Is the Arno? Is Arno. It's Arno. Arno. Yeah. Arno. Um, you know, in the beginning, you know, he's hunting you down. You, you killed his men. And at some point, you know, he ends up helping you out. And that's just that's just great narrative right there. And it all comes and, and it ends in a big twist that is just very satisfactory. I think that 
the biggest positive from Innocence to this, and I liked the supporting characters in Innocence. I thought that Roderick was a great supporting character in Innocence. He's probably my favorite of the of the group. I thought that um, Melly was a good was a good supporting supporter supporting character, and I thought that her her brother didn't really do much. Arthur didn't really do all that much. But yeah, I, I thought that the supporting cast was really good um, in Innocence, and I think that it's even better here. I think that Arno and Sophia steal the show. I think that, you know, returning characters, Lucas is really, really good. Beatrice is really good in, um, in the scenes that she's in. And then, I mean, I don't know. I think that, and this might be a bold take, I am ready to put Hugo and Amicia up as one of the best duo leads in video game history. Because a lot of the first duo lead that people think of in video games is Ellie and Joel in Last of Us. That's like the first one people think of. I'm ready to put Hugo and Amicia up there. And I just want to say this. I looked this up so I could say this. Charlotte McBurney, the voice actress for Amicia, hands, hands down my favorite, my favorite lead performance this year in a game. Hands down. She absolutely owns the role uh, in all of the best ways. I thought that uh, Amicia was 100% the star of this game, and I absolutely loved this story. Now, we're going to get into the story, hence the spoiler warning And at the beginning of this. The first thing before we dive into you know loving on this game as much as I know we are, let's talk critiques. Um, I'm not going to go into my spoilery critique just yet, I'm going to just open with the low-hanging fruit. Um, This game is a next-gen exclusive, and unfortunately on consoles, it is locked at 30 FPS. And it's disappointing because, and Kyle, you'll agree here, the first game, considering when it came out on PS5, looks awesome. It ran really well. It was a really beautiful, gorgeous game. Not to say this game isn't gorgeous. This game 100% looks the part of next-gen, and once you get past the 30 FPS, it's okay. But that was a real bummer, personally, for me, Kyle, was that it was locked at 30. I would have loved to have seen this game running in 60. Yeah, especially when, you know, we have been saying this for quite a while. These next-gen consoles have this hardware for a reason and my biggest gripe with any developer is when they don't take the full advantage of that hardware in the ps5 and the xbox series x it should be standard for next-gen games for games that come out on these consoles to be 60 fps it's you know kind of weird when you have the first game on the same console, a Plague Tale Innocence on PS5, and it runs in a smooth 60 FPS, and it looks gorgeous. And then you boot up the second game, and it's 30 FPS, and at times, it's quite noticeable. For the most part, it was not bad, and I thought that the game looked incredible, and I hope to see a 60 FPS patch at some point, because I would love to replay this game You know, in its full glory. You what? Oh, I was just going to say, as far as my critiques go, um, other than some frame rate drops during some of the chase scenes, because they are trying to Mm -hmm. fit all of these rats on on the screen at one time. And let me know, let me tell you, when you're playing this game, you will know what the term 
too many rats is. <laughs> but yeah. I'm going to say this. One of my biggest critiques is this game revolves around a lot of stealth missions. And yes. I feel like that I'm, I'm hiding. And there, there's just moments where you'll see the enemy icon that you know, indicates that they can see you and that they're you know becoming alerted to your presence. But it's like, I'm looking around and I'm just like, how do they see me? I'm so far away. Or, you know... I, I'm, I'm hidden in the grass and I don't ever have that problem that much, but it's like when I'm trying to sneak around because obviously you have to move around a lot to progress because these sneaking missions can probably take up a good amount of the chapter you're playing. Let's be honest here. Yes. Especially yeah. if you're trying to find all the, like, especially if you're trying to open chests because you want to craft, you know, like tar pots, thing, pick up pots. You want to pick up like, you know, all the things that you need for crafting in order to complete these missions. And it is just such a pain when your game is like a good portion of it revolves around stealth, but you keep like you keep getting caught out of nowhere, and it just it just like doesn't make sense because they I don't know how they can see me, like yeah the I don't know what the that kind of thing in um, development is, but it's like it's it's really annoying. I agree. I think that I had a gripe with the stealth too, just. It doesn't feel like the stealth really evolved much from the first game to this, and that's like the one aspect of gameplay that didn't get better from the first to this. I thought that it was good. It was solid already in Innocence, and it's really solid here, but I wish that it would have gotten a little bit more in-depth. I wish that we would have been given a few more options. Obviously, you can hide under tables, hide under beds, and do all that now, um, and you've got a few more options in terms of you know, there's a lot more. You're able to carry more than just one pot, and that's massive. I love that. Um, because I felt like in Plague Tale Innocence, yeah. I would just be running through them, and yet I could only pick up one at a time. So I like that. My biggest critique and my biggest problem out with this game, and I think it says a lot that I, you know, it says a lot about this game. If this is my biggest critique, as far as the story, I was not happy that two key characters essentially get sidelined from the end of, I think, chapter 5 uh, yeah. to chapter 13. And that's when, um, you know, when Beatrice and Lucas, you essentially, Amicia takes Hugo and they split off from them because she doesn't feel like her mother's goals, Beatrice, her mother's goals, are aligned with hers and Hugo's. And I didn't love that two key characters were essentially sidelined for... I'd say about probably 40 to 50% of the game, they're just not there. Uh, Lucas was a key character in the first one, especially when it came to alchemy. Beatrice was literally the one in the first game that taught Hugo how to control the rats. I don't understand why those two were sidelined in this one. And I get it that I think a lot of it was to make room for the new characters, was to make room for Arno and for Sophia, because that's a lot of characters. That's a lot of cooks in the kitchen, so to say. Um, but I think that I just wish those two had been in the game a little bit more. So with that being said, now that we've gone into critiques, let's talk about the story. So we all agree on this, I think, that if the first game was considered dark, uh, there's no words to describe how dark and depressing this game, this game's story is. It makes the first game look like a Disney movie by comparison. Uh, if you want another comparison, a lot of people consider Last of Us Part Two to be one of the darkest video games of all time. 
I think this blows past that for just the subject material and just kind of the context of certain situations that you get into. It really feels like this game decided to go all in. You know, we talked about Saints Row going all in with humor in the past, and that's what made that game great. I think what makes this game great, they went all in with heavy, dark subject matter. The story hits hard at every possible turn, and I love that they fully committed to that, and they didn't try to water it down. So, the end of the first game... You know, sees, you know, you, Amicia, Hugo, Beatrice, and Lucas, they're riding off trying to go, you know, get to the southern part of, you know, the continent and, or the southern part of France, I should say. Um, and that's where the game picks up. Kyle, let's talk about the first, like, real hard hitting moment of this game. You get to this city where it looks like, you know, you're going to be, you're, you, this looks like it's going to be a good place. It's a good hub. It's a good, kind of main starting point for a lot of these chapters that you might and these missions you might go out on and it just gets turned it gets turned to dust by these rats by the end of chapter four um kyle i don't even remember what my reaction was i think my jaw was on the floor do you remember kind of how you reacted to that big moment i thought that was pretty fucking wild when i thought that in the last game i had seen a lot of rats this game had rats leveling entire cities. It was nuts. That shit was crazy. I I didn't know what to say. Like, by the end, when it had you walking through just all of the rubble and the debris, that was so depressing because you had just been there looking at this beautiful city and, you know, taking in all the sights seeing all these you know people doing these fun things just living their life and then next thing you know it's just all gone they're all dead yeah this game definitely just beats you down emotionally and continues to do so up until the end but it is in my opinion one of their strongest suits because they do it so well that it doesn't you know it doesn't deter me from wanting to play this again. It definitely... Uh, I'm going to need a minute before I play it again. It is yep. a heavy, heavy game, but I think it did it just so well. Yeah, I agree. I, I There's not much outside of what I said before that I didn't like about this story. I, I do think that to play this game's story, you do need to make sure you are in the right frame of mind, in the right state of mind, uh, if you're not in a good place mentally, you probably shouldn't play this game right away because it's really, really dark. It's really, really heavy. Um, and the funny thing is, and Matt, we talked about this a little bit. I would say chapters one to nine are really, really dark compared to most video games. Boy, oh, yeah. you get you get to chapter ten though, and from chapter ten to the end, oh my god, it is some of the darkest subject matter in gaming ever, in my opinion. Yeah, I I cannot agree with you more on that. Um, one thing that this this game does is you 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 think that one person going through so much just you know never a moment's rest. Amicia is literally just being injured. She's getting her arm dislocated. She's being slashed by like a sword. She's getting an arrow. Like this this girl 
has gone through so much in this game and it's like you know you're on the other side of the screen and you just re you realize that this character is just a bunch of polygons right this is just this is just a video game but the emotion and the pain that she has in her voice you just feel everything about it like this game puts her through the ringer and then with that ending it's just so it's so depressing, honestly. Even though they tried to give it this kind of a happier ending, if you just sit through the credits, like, thank you, Rusty, for telling me to sit through the credits there. Um, but, yeah, that is just insane how much she put that she was put through in this game. And I, I want to talk about one key moment here that I think is a big part of her development. Throughout the game, the whole, con the whole thing that's being talked about is killing is bad don't kill the, like this kind of thing and there's a moment in i believe chapter 14 correct me if i'm wrong here um and since we are talking about spoilers um that beatrice is 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 murdered in cold blood right in front yep. of amicia and he kind of takes over you play as hugo and you come to realization that you're looking at your mother dead and in that moment, Amicia breaks everything that she has told, taught Hugo and is telling him, use your powers, kill every soldier. And it was just an immaculate moment. And I don't think that I have really felt something like that in a game that's just the pure raw emotion of just watching Beatrice's killer just being launched up in the air and it yeah. just starting this whole new story of revenge for... Um, the count um because this guy will chase you down because you kill the love of his life mm -hmm. and it's raw emotional like power that hugo he's just he lets go he's been trying to contain the macula the macula macula you're good yeah appreciate it uh, he's been trying to control the macula and then in just that moment he just lets go and he's taken over and then from there it's just kind of like hugo's gone amicia is on the verge of just you know giving up and when it all comes together at the end you just really feel like what the developers what the the story writers were going for i think that one of the best aspects of this game is how much this game does take a look at how much of a mental toll the first game took how much it had how much of a toll it had on amicia i think that the way that it looks at kind of how she deals with that ptsd and kind of the flashbacks to everything that she went through dealing with the Inquisition and always being on the run from soldiers. I think that this game's look at that and how that can take a, take an effect on a, on a young person. I mean, in the game, I'm pretty sure she's 15 based on everything that's on the internet about, about you know her character. What she has been through as a 15-year-old, that, it's a deep, deep look at PTSD and trauma and how she's dealing with it. I mean, there's moments early in the game where Lucas is telling her, hey, if you're not up for this, you can wait. You do not have to be here. I can handle this myself. And you really feel all of that raw emotion from her. And you feel that from all the characters, I feel. Again, I feel like there's not a weak character in this bunch. I think that a secondary star of this story is the island of Lacuna because I think that... This game, as one of y'all mentioned earlier, I liked that it sometimes took... It, it brought us into bigger environments and they were still linear, but they had segments of being more open and you could explore a little bit more. And Lacuna as a setting, as an environment in a game, 
really an excellent environment. We already touched on the midsummer vibes that it kind of gave us all about how, you know, it's one of those where you get there and you're talking to everybody and you're like, you know, this is just a little, a little too perfect. And naturally you find out that it's much darker than that. Kyle, let's talk about this, this story, you know, of them finding out about the original carrier of the macula, Basilius and his protector, Alia, because that was where the story really began to hook me and where I began to just binge it because I wanted to know what was going to happen next. Yeah, Lacuna was, I think, my favorite uh, level in the game. The entirety of the island was massive. It really showed, um, I think, how much they grew this game from the first one to this one. Um, definitely my favorite level of the game just because of how much there was to explore, uh, it showed how much that they had opened this game up from the first one. Um, it definitely still is a lot more linear, but I felt like there were so many bigger areas within these linear sections of the game that kind of gave you a little bit more freedom to go off and um, really just learn about the lore of this game and, you know, really expand on the world. Um so as you're on Lacuna and you start learning about, uh, you know, how Hugo was not the original carrier and how this has all happened before, how, you know, the entire story of the carrier and the protector did not begin with Hugo and uh, Amicia. It was very, very captivating to find out that they actually, all these people on the island that you thought were super awesome and nice, were afraid of the original carrier, and so they locked him away as a child in this dungeon to basically starve yeah. to death and rot. And that was brutal. When they did that, that's what caused the original plague to happen. It was such a heavy moment in the game, and it really was a big turning point for Hugo, I think, because he was seeing how cruel humanity actually is. I I love that, that entire section. Honestly, all of Lacuna is probably my favorite part in the game. I think that with Hugo especially, you mentioned kind of that being the shift in his character arc. You know, he throughout your time on Lacuna, he slowly and slowly begins to, you know, because the whole reason you're there is because he has he's had these dreams of this island where he can be healed and he can be made better and the macula can be done away with. And he's slowly learning that, you know, as, you know, a kid, your dreams are everything to you. Because you, you'd like to believe that some bit of reality is rooted in them. And he's slowly learning that even when things seem like they're getting better, there's always a chance that things will get worse. There's always a chance that bad things will happen, that people will do bad things, even when they have this positive exterior, like the Count and the Countess both do. I mean, they both have this exterior of, you know, we want to help you, and this is a safe place to, you know, this is a safe place for you, and you're more than welcome here. When in all reality, they really just want to steal Hugo from Amicia and from Beatrice, and that's what ultimately leads to Beatrice's death. So, now let's get into the ending a little bit, because, or at least like the main ending that we all got, because there's an alternate version of it that doesn't really change all of that much, um, outside of who strikes the final blow. But, 
basically the Count ends up taking Hugo and Hugo ends up just going batshit crazy. He crosses the final threshold and essentially becomes one with the macula. You know, essentially, Hugo is no longer Hugo. He is no longer the same boy that you've been with for, you know, the 14, 15 hour journey. He is now one with the macula and he will destroy the world if he is not stopped. And I really feel like this ending, at first, I'm going to be honest, I thought they were going to kill off everybody except Amicia. I thought that, I, I figured that Arno would die, and he, of course, ends up, you know, dying and sacrificing himself so that Amicia can kill the Count. Um, I thought that Sophia would die, and I'm glad that she didn't. And then I thought that when you and Lucas enter the nebula, which is just essentially this gigantic cloud between the macula realm, the macula's realm, and the real world, I thought when Lucas didn't appear, I thought he was dead. And I thought that would yes. have been a really ballsy way to end this story because the story ends with Amicia essentially having to kill Hugo to stop the spread of the plague. And I really thought that would have been a ballsy ending to kill off everybody because that's Amicia is saving the world, but at the end of the day, she is left with nothing. And I'm not saying because that would have been a happy ending. That would have been a miserable ending, but that would have been a ballsy way to go about the story, uh, more so than it already is with you having to use your sling one final time to kill Hugo. You know, it goes to credits, yeah. and then you skip the credits, and it cuts forward a year where Amicia is living by herself. She's in her in this house in the mountains that her parents had, and she's essentially going to go off on this expedition with Sophia. She stops off to visit Hugo's grave, at least we're assuming it's Hugo's grave, um, and takes the the, 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 the Darun family necklace with her to carry their memory with her essentially um and then the last shot we see is a body with the mark of the macula proving that it is not gone and that we are likely going to get a third game in this series so matt i'll start with you what did you think about this ending and how how much of an impact did it have well it is definitely the end of amicia and hugo's story because if the arm that we saw was at first i was thinking is this Hugo's arm, but I took a better look at it, and it looked more like an infant's arm. Yes. Which is what is definitely showing us that the future of the series will be a new carrier and a new protector. So I think they did a great job, and if they don't make a third one, it's okay. Yes. I think that the way that they did this was perfect because Amicia and Hugo are the main characters here, and... I mean, if they if they want to make a new one, I'm all up for it. I think these developers have showcased that they know what they're doing. Like this story, is, this this whole entire like series is in great hands. And um, if they if they want to do like a uh, a new one and it's kind of like a, a spinoff of sorts, I guess it wouldn't technically be a spinoff, but you know what I mean. It's like yeah, far off into the future because I I don't think that this is going to be taking place in, in the same time. Yeah, I think that this is probably the best way to go about these kinds of stories and keeping the franchise alive. We saw it with Last of Us, where, you know, in the first game, it's all about Joel and Ellie, and then in the second game, they killed off Joel. Yes. And, you know, the game was more so about Ellie and Abby. And in the third game, I wouldn't be surprised if they kill off Ellie or if it's, you know... 
later on and you know you really you become attached to these characters and i think that that's why it makes their deaths so impactful when you have to kill hugo at the very end that was so dreadful i mean just so depressing but it was so good like it hurt but in a good way because at the end of the day i think you kind of knew that for this to end that was the only way now i'll be honest what i thought was going to happen at the end of the game was i thought amicia was going to die and hugo was going to have to go on you know and then the third game would obviously be about him um this was a pretty big twist to me for them to kill Hugo and then do what they're doing where it looks like if we get a third game, it's going to be about somebody completely different. Um, this this game definitely goes down as one of the best duo narrative-driven stories like Last of Us and God of War. Um, I would love to see a third game with new characters keep it in the same world keep it you know same timeline but the these guys have definitely proven themselves in masterclass game design i think when it comes to storytelling i think there's god of war 2018 and potentially ragnarok which is coming out here in a few weeks we're getting closer and closer there's last of us and then i think that Pl plague tale is right behind it i i think that the story that has been told over these two games really does need to be commended um we've still got some big games coming out this year we've had some big games come out already this in a normal year this would be my pick for game of the year in a normal year this game wins game of the year it likely won't this year because of god of War ragnarok because of last of us part one because of elden ring it likely won't but this will this should go down as one of the best video games to come out this year, and this is one of the best video game narratives of all time, in my opinion. I think that we will for sure see a third game, and I have a theory, and I've told you about this. It is going to take place in modern day, in modern times, and it's going to be following the descendants of Hugo and Amicia. I think that, and it, I think it's going to be called Plague Tale Descendants. That'd be I cool. I think that is going to be what ends up happening. But Playtale Requiem, fantastic narrative. Proof that single-player, linear-driven games can still 100% thrive, uh, despite the fact that people love open-world games as much as they do. We all you need a game. You need games like this to still exist because yeah. Playtale Requiem was fantastic. I absolutely loved it. I know y'all loved it. So that's gonna wrap up this episode of Side Mission for us. You be sure to follow us on Twitter at Side Mission Pod. On Facebook and TikTok, it's Side Mission Podcast. And obviously, at this point, you know by now, we're on every podcast platform imaginable. So, you know, you get to listen on wherever you want to listen. We're all about convenience here at Side Mission. So that is our episode of Plague Tale Requiem. Thank you for listening. For the boys, for Matt, for Kyle. I just about said Thacker again, but his ass is not here. Go Vols, baby. I'm Rusty. Thank you for listening.